Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. Rejection. Rejection. When you think of rejection, you know, what's your, ouch. Rejection really, really hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to be rejected by someone you love. In fact, it hurts to be rejected by anyone. Now, I just recently read that the same area of our brain becomes activated when we experience rejection as when we experience actual physical pain. So that means that even small rejections hurt more than what we think because they elicit pain. Though it's emotional pain, it is pain nevertheless. And even if you think of yourself, well, I'm so, so totally interdirected, it doesn't matter to me what other people think, it still inflicts pain, even if you deny it. Well, you know those rejection breakup lines like, well, uh, I think of you more like a brother, yeah? Or uh, maybe uh, right now, I'm really concentrating on my career so I don't have time for a relationship. Now, the Christian version of that is, oh, well, right now I'm, I'm working in my Bible studies and I'm just spending a lot of time on eschatology and it takes a long time. So well, how about let's just be friends. And then when it comes right down to it and then he says to her or she says to him, well, it's not you, it's, it's, it's me. Those are languages of rejection. Well, we just finished a series on the five love languages of God, but I think we've got to have an echo on that. We're going to talk about what happens when love is rejected, when love takes a hit and not a bow, and God knows that better than anyone else. So we're going to be dealing with that today. Um, Everyone needs and everybody wants at some level acceptance by other people. But you know what? Our natural language is not the language of love. Our natural language is is, is the language of sin, which involves ultimately rejection, rejection of love and rejection of other people as we focus on ourselves in self love. And that doesn't work particularly well either. Last week I mentioned that, uh, uh, and quoted Tim Tebow, where he said that God made us in love and by love and for love. So when God created humanity, let's go back to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and they could have put up a sign that says, um, love, uni- uh, love headquarters of the universe. That would have been you know, the sign that says, hey, this is where you are at. You know, imagine Adam and Eve so close to each other, there's not any distance between them, no separation between them because there was no separation between them and God. You ever try to imagine a world like that and how beautiful that would be? The perfect union, husband and wife, friends, neighbors, school um, people, kids on the playground, everybody, you know, in that kind of closeness with each other. And at the beginning, it was like that, including even the natural world. You know, you read Genesis chapter 2 about how God had Adam name all the animals. They all passed by. You know, what do you get out of that? There's There's a little message in there that says that Adam was not afraid of any of the animals, and none of the animals were afraid of Adam. There was that perfect peace and harmony, no fear. But what came? 
What came next? Chapter 3, which means along came rejection. First, there was the rejection of God, rejecting his authority, rejecting his presence, rejecting his love, rejecting that intimacy, and buying into that false promise that they themselves could be as gods. They would have autonomy. You ever think of that word autonomy? It's it's actually made up of two Greek words, which means a law for oneself. And when God, you know, when the devil said, you shall know good and evil, well, that means they could make up their own rules about what is good and what is evil. And somehow they fell to that delusion that they could find delight in things that were forbidden. Have you ever figured out when you're going in the forbidden line, you know, when you're heading on that direction, it really doesn't fulfill the way you thought it might? So how does God feel about all of that? Do you know that God has emotion? God felt sadness, still does. Grief, still does. Upset, yeah. Would God even have what we call, uh, the Bible calls wrath? wrath, which is a kind of a righteous anger, a legitimate anger, because it was, the anger of God was against sin and against Satan because it had separated humanity from him. The great object of his love was us, and it separated. No wonder God is very upset. God's love took a hit. Yeah, rejection, yeah, extremely painful. It's uh, one of the most painful emotions that a person can experience. You know, it's bad enough on the playground when kids, uh, you know, reject each other and get into those fights and battles, but it gets worse. So people oftentimes need recovery therapy when they have experienced rejection. Now, let's think about this scene. So he has planned the perfect gift, which is a diamond ring, and the perfect restaurant, the perfect night, the perfect menu. Everything is perfect, and the perfect young lady. And uh, there they are, and then finally at the perfect moment, he takes this box out of his pocket, he opens it up, he's on one knee, and he asks, will you marry me? Her eyes get wide open, her jaw drops on, and she says, are you kidding? (laughs) Never, no way. This must be a joke. Okay, love is rejected, and along with that, I mean, this guy's gonna be hurting for a long time. Love took a hit. Now, why do you think I'm, I'm going there? Because this actually, we're going to make this application. You know, how did God feel when his love was so rejected? Or, or take divorce. Way too many people have experienced it. And not only the, the parties who had to separate, but uh, as a little collateral harm that goes along with that, oftentimes intense pain. Love takes a hit. Children always need their love tank to be filled. But when they feel rejection by parents, by siblings, by the neighborhood kids, the playground kids, teachers, and other significant people in their lives, love takes a hit. It hurts. You know, that real love, authentic love, is very costly. Just ask God. It cost him a great deal to love us. Love can be painful because love can be rejected. It can be ridiculed. It can lead uh, the giver to wonder, hey, is it all really worth it? Love 
is the most sought after, yet is the most elusive kind of a thing. And if you look for it in the wrong place, you are never going to find it because there's only one source. Well, today, today we're beginning Holy Week, and we're going to be looking at that source of authentic love because this is going to be the most profound love. When you look through the events of this week and then culminating a week from now, you know what we're going to say next Sunday when, when someone says, well, I don't want to give it away. Okay, you know what's going to be happening on, on Easter. Okay, but uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Uh, Luke writes that as he's on the way and he's getting close to Jerusalem, he pauses, stops, and he looks over the scene of the city. If you've ever been on the Mount of Olives um, and by the Garden of Gethsemane there, you look and you see the city of Jerusalem, you know, the walls and everything. It's quite an amazing sight, and it's so beautiful. It just touches the heart, but it touched the heart of Jesus in a different way because he wept. He wept because he knew he was going to be rejected. He already knew he had been rejected. Uh, and uh, the religious leaders and others, they rejected the one thing, the one person that could bring peace to them. And no, no wonder he wept about that. And then you think about the disciples, the disciples of Jesus. One of them was going to betray him. Another was going to deny him. All the rest were going to scatter and leave him and um, forsake him. In uh, 700 years before that, Isaiah wrote, he was despised and rejected. 700 years before it happened. 300 years before that, David the psalmist in Psalm 22 describes the, the life uh, and and the, the humility and the rejection of this Messiah. He says, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. The love is rejected. And of course, having been prophesied, Jesus knew full well that this would be happening to him. The very love then that people long for and that, that very love that invited sinners, that would eat with them and receive them, would be the one who would die on a cross. And actually, when you think about it, it's dying for all the undeserving people in the world, which includes us. Though it's often rejected, God's love, though, opposite, accepts, receives takes us just where we are. You know, that's where he starts, right where we are. He doesn't say, okay, when you clean up your act, maybe I'll save you. But he saves us, and then he does. He loves us enough not to just leave us there, but the issues of our life that need cleansing, revising, fixing, changing, growing, maturing. You know what? He sends the Holy Spirit so that that can begin to happen. This is a perfect love. It's Amazing love. You know, Chris Tomlin wrote the song, that title, Amazing Love, one of the lines, I am accepted because you were forsaken. You see, accepted, forsaken. The one, you know, he's forsaken, now I'm accepted. Okay, let's talk about that big parade. Okay, Chan and I, you know, we did that parade with the kids, a great parade. The kids were wonderful. Now, 
uh, it was on Palm Sunday, and you can imagine a bunch of people, they're gathering, they're little kids, and they're crawling between the legs of the adults. They want to get a better view, closer look, and everybody suddenly saw it. They're moving in their direction. There was a man who's riding on a donkey, and then there were people that were racing in front, you know, throwing down palm branches and taking their outer clothing, their, their cloaks, and putting them in the way, and then they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowd that gathered started to catch the excitement, and they began to shout as they're running alongside of the road. And as they're running, some in the crowd who were kind of puzzled, hey, what's going on? So, hey, uh, who, who is this man, and why are we shouting these hosannas? Is he a king? Because that was something was saved for a king. Oh, and others turned and said, yes, yes, he is the king. He is the king of the Jews. He's riding on a donkey just like the prophet said that it would happen, how the Messiah would come. However, here's the problem. They were expecting an earthly king, a military hero, freedom from the shackles of the Romans. And in their minds, the kingdom of God was an earthly geographical political kingdom. But there's a different purpose for the parade. It's more than what they thought. It was for Jesus to enter Jerusalem in order to be rejected there. If he's going to be rejected in Jerusalem, he's got to get there. Okay. All the rejection of God by all the people that had ever lived and who lived then and who live now and will live. All of that rejection falls on that man that's riding that donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Love that had existed even before we did and before time began. Now, that love is bringing him into Jerusalem that day with a world-changing mission and purpose. And that day of loud hosannas, yeah, that his mission and his purpose was very much mis understood by so many. Free us from the Romans? I've got a whole lot more than that for you. The man who is riding the donkey in this spontaneous parade is God's son. Sent into the world, born of a woman, just like all of us are, a person of flesh and blood, so that he could be a sacrifice, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he came to bring only love and only service, the one who could heal the sick and could drive out demons and raise the dead, still a storm, walk on water and still feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That's the one that came in. So what's not to love about him? What's not to love about him? He came only to serve and not to be served. All he does is love. Why? was he rejected. And when he calls out the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and when he has to overturn the tables of the money changers in the temple, that anger is driven by love because love cannot endorse and it cannot endure exploitation, oppression, hypocrisy, dishonesty, cannot endure that love recognizes the disfiguring nature of sin. And love comes to do something about it. Not just to put, you know, lipstick on a pig, but to do that radical thing that is required 
for a complete change, for a complete redemption of humanity. He came to save people from sin. By the end of the week, there's going to be a different parade. We call this the triumphal entry, the triumphal entry. It's going to be replaced by something that through the ages has been called the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows. The street of national greatness, uh uh-uh, nope. Not going to work. It becomes now a street of grim reality. And maybe it is because he loved so completely, so consistently, that his love takes a hit. But pure love, you see, it has, it's like a very bright light. It shines so brightly and it can see every piece of brokenness, every flaw. It exposes those so that they can be dealt with. It's it's a little bit like the the jeweler who's got that magnifying thing on his uh, on, over his eye and he's looking at a diamond, but there's a flaw, you know. And when he looks at us, you know that he sees the flaw, every flaw. But he doesn't want that state to remain. He wants to redeem, and he wants to shatter the dreams of people who want less than complete salvation because he wants to give, in the place of those dreams, something greater than we could ever dream of. The Messiah King comes in so that he can suffer for the sins of the people. He came for you. He came for me. And when their desire to reject him becomes reality, Jesus was still accepting him because he was that designated lamb who would be sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. And in him, and in him alone is the power to truly love, which would mean he would forgive, restore, reconcile, set free. So powerful is that love that there would be no human being on earth who could be beyond the reach of that love. All it takes is for a heart to receive it and say, Thank you. I receive, I accept that love. And, and the point of this all, I want you to know it, it's really about us. It's really about us. A redemption, a salvation, a change, a new heart, a new life for every one of us. You personally have a Savior. You are not rejected by the one who has rejected. He was rejected. He went to all that because he already saw you. He saw me. And he loved us way back then. And what he did back then is appropriate. It, it, it can be appropriated, received in faith right now. Is your faith receiving this gift? Is your faith understanding what he did for you? Are you maybe walking the wrong path, the path of you know some kind of a greatness other than the greatness of Jesus? Jesus walked the path of sorrow so that we could walk that path of joy. You know, there's so many people who are looking for purpose and are looking for reality in their lives. They're looking for love but they're looking in the wrong place and you're never going to find it except in Jesus Christ. Let our focus, our view be upon Jesus. If you have never really dealt with that, what would be a good time? 
Would this moment be a good one to say, Lord Jesus, I know you're right there. And I have this uncomfortable feeling that you're you know, beckoning me, that you're inviting me, Lord. I'm just going to let go and let your love envelop me and take me. Near the end of the Second World War, a martyr, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, God allows himself to be edged out of the world and to a cross. And that is the way, the only way in which he can be with us and help us. Only that suffering love, only that rejection helps us to be accepted. Well, on that day, love took a hit, not a bow. But it wasn't long after that, on the third day, that that love could take a bow. I'm going to just repeat a couple of the words that I read from Philippians 2 at the beginning of this message. And being found in human form, that's Jesus, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now the bow. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.